welcome everybody to the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Join my father, Rabbi Avi Harwitz, and myself, Ayelet, in our Bible-inspired conversation based on the weekly Torah portion. Our hope is to glean timeless Torah values to help us navigate the confusing world we live in today, as well as give us something to think about. This podcast is relevant for everybody and anybody, no matter your religious background. So with no further ado, let's get talking, let's get thinking, and let's get started. Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Father, the Daughter, and the Holy Podcast. Woo! (laughs) We're really excited to be back with you guys for another week. We've got some really, really cool things to talk about. And we now have an email where you can send us reviews, feedback, questions. So I'm going to put that in in our goodbye for the end of the podcast. So keep your eyes peeled for that, your ears peeled, I guess. <laughs> um, and with no further ado, here we go. What are we talking about today? Today we're talking about forgiveness. And I'll tell you why. I want to get straight to the point because there's, it's such a big topic and it's so interesting and it's so relevant to our daily lives and to understanding huge issues and uh, very unfortunate issues in the world. And that has to do with um, being able to forgive people or being able to forgive in general without an apology. And I'll tell you why we're talking about um, forgiveness without apology. As we've been reading in the Torah portions, in the, in the portions that we read weekly in the, in, in the synagogue, we're in one of those dark episodes where it's, it kind of gets sh- shuttled to the background. Uh, the, the great sin, we can call it a sin, that um, brothers committed against another brother, which is they sold him into slavery. They were almost ready to kill him, but instead they sold him into slavery thinking they can get rid of him that way. And that would be the easiest and you know bloodless way. the The Torah talks about this episode without really getting to that conclusion where we would hope for, almost as if you know we were watching a movie and we wanted to feel good at the end. We would hope that the element of reconciliation would really be up there in the front, and the the type of reconciliation that we see in the in the, in the Bible story, in the Torah story, is somewhat satisfying in that sense. And it's not like we're judging it by that, if it's satisfying or not, but it, it is satisfying in the sense because there is this you know embrace and there's tears, at least on, on Joseph, on Joseph's face. And there does seem to be some level of reconciliation. But what, what's missing the whole time is an actual apology. You don't find any language of apology from the brothers to Joseph. That's what's missing. At the end of the book of Genesis, we read um, that they did come closer to some kind of an apology, which means there was the first reapproachment, you know, in this portion. And then all the way um, at the end of the book of Genesis, we read that the brothers realized that their father was dead and they knew that his father was dead but since his father the father Jacob was dead they said oh no maybe Joseph is going to hate us and and he's going to 
commit vengeance against us for all of the evil that we've done to him. So they send this message to Joseph and they say to him, uh, almost um, surreptitiously, it's not really clear exactly if their father had actually told them to say this, but they say, our father has commanded before his death, saying, this is what you should say to Joseph. Oh, please forgive the iniquity that your brothers and the sin that they've done to you. And, um, and Joseph all the time is listening to this and he's crying. And the brothers come to him and they fall in front of him and they say, oh, we are, we are uh, your servants. And Joseph says to them again the refrain that he says to them in the, in the original encounter, which is, um, perhaps you committed a wrong against me and you had bad intentions, but you know I certainly am not in the place of God, and God had other intentions here. And God used me to be a vehicle to cr- make a great salvation uh, for all the people, um, as an as a viceroy to Egypt, and creating a plan to to maintain and to feed all these people during the the the, the famine. So. God was definitely involved here, and period. So it's very unsatisfactory because you don't really see the brothers coming forth with a real apology. It's kind of like they're worried about what's going to happen to them, and they kind of send this message that, like, oh, we're, you know, we don't want to get, you know, really uh, punished now by by Joseph, who's going to, you know, want to get back at us, which is some, some kind of an intrigue that we've seen so much in the history of the world, you know, where families end up killing each other out because of lasting and unresolved feuds. So the question is, where do we place the story in terms of forgiveness without apology? What is this forgiveness that Joseph is affording his brothers? It seems to be some kind of a forgiveness. And um, is there such a thing as forgiveness without apology? I think in order to unpack this, we have to talk about what is the purpose of forgiveness? What, why is forgiveness necessary? How does it help um, both parties, really? And can it be unilateral? You know, how much can be acamp- accomplished with a, a forgiveness that's unilateral? Okay, that's, that's the real issue for today. What do you think about that? Big issues. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm already feeling myself getting a bit uncomfortable with some of those questions. I'm like, ooh. All right, let's go. I'm really excited. Apology is one of those things that I'm always a big fan of. So hearing about, you know, is it, is it, do you need to apologize in order for someone to be to forgive is is huge. And what the purpose of apology is 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 so huge. I'm a big fan of apology. <laughs> right. So well, you know Gary Chapman's book um, about five languages of apology or something yes. like that. I forgot the exact title. So that's a good book. Uh, to read about that and the importance of apology. But we're talking about apology, um, sans apology. We're talking about forgiveness without apology. And and that will, of course, open of course the issue of apology too, but we're not going to go there. We just want to deal with that particular issue because otherwise we'll be here all day. Let, let's, take, um, let's, let's take a step back and look at some general views about this issue of forgiveness without apology. What do the world religions say? about forgiveness in general and forgiveness without apology. So I'm going to talk about primarily Christian uh, attitudes and then 
our, our attitude in Judaism so that we can get a perhaps a little bit more of a, a deeper appreciation of, of the different attitudes out there. I do not, I am not aware of the Muslim attitude um, towards this issue. I looked around, I only found some scant evidence here and there, so I'm going to leave that out. Well, in general, Christianity has a late motif with it, which is turn the, the, turn the right, other cheek, cheek, right? And um, in, in, you can read in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke that if you do not forgive their trespasses, neither will God forgive your trespasses. That's a quote from Matthew, which is you need to forgive because you need to be in good standing with God. If you want to be in good standing with God, you need to forgive like God forgives, seemingly. So um, why should God forgive you if you're not willing to forget, forgive others? Mm-hmm. I, I think it's, I'm not a, a, gospel, I'm not a um, New Testament scholar, and I do not know how to interpret the difference um, of opinions or the, the different uh, feelings or attitudes that you see in different books of the gospel. But um, you will find... Um, for example, I mentioned Luke. He says, forgive, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Right? In other words, that's the famous line that um, the Savior of, of says when he's on the uh, cross. And he, he almost says to, he, he's, Luke says, reports that he says to God that he should forgive those people that have actually killed him or, or about to or you know done what they've done that what they've done to kill him because they did not know what they were doing so again it, that kind of um, gives the impression of like forgiveness without apology again right because whoever he's forgiving you know didn't approach him to ask for forgiveness also there's clearly then the understanding that if you're going to forgive because they don't know better then they're obviously not going to come with an apology because they didn't notice that what they're doing isn't right yeah so that's what i'm saying that that quote does give you that impression you know you can deduce from that but it certainly leaves what to be desired i mean there is no apology still you know they didn't know what they do they didn't know what they were doing i think in in those contexts uh, in this context um what I understood means they didn't know what they were doing, the gravity of the, what they were doing, which means they didn't know they were killing a person so important. I think that's what he was saying. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they were doing something pretty dastardly. So in any case, they would have had to have asked you know, for forgiveness. And there, that was missing. Um, yet in, in, in other places in the Gospel, in the Ephesians and John, I found other quotes where it says, if we confess our sins, God will forgive our sins. There is an idea of obviously confession, and confession is a very important part of Christian doctrine. So, how important is the confession as as, as far as being an apology, and how much is the confession, you know, an idea of, uh, let's say, reconciling reconciling with God? Can you can in Christian doctrine? Can you or or belief can you go confess your sins let's say to the preacher or to the priest without actually facing those people that you've wronged is there some worth in confession without actually apologizing is what i'm asking mm. how much is 
is the confession seen as an apology? It's not clear to me. So let's just leave that as a as a, as a question mark in, in Christian belief. I, I did do some research. I don't claim to have the last word, but I thought it was interesting that these you find these different voices. A more modern voice, which I think is going to bring us into an, another interesting, probably for Jews anyway, a, a very um, fresh and open wound, um, is the history of the Holocaust. But let's start from an unsuspecting voice, which is the voice of the um, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was murdered, actually, by the Nazi, and he was Catholic. He was a Christian. He, um, he said that forgiveness without apology, which is something that he obviously was um, contemplating, is, quote-unquote, cheap grace. And it's another important point that he mentions in his uh, musings is that it's the justification of sin, which I think is another important piece to this idea. First of all, cheap grace is, you know, clearly a, a Christian uh, idea, where you know, in order to get grace, um, a person needs to be aligned with God and a believer. Um, and 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 I think he's referring to some of the quotes that we've said before about, you know, forgiving because, you know, God forgives. And the idea of being aligned with God because God forgives, so you must forgive, that's cheap grace. That's not the full picture. That's what he was saying. And remember, this is a person who was there, who was actually murdered by the Nazi. Hmm. I thought when I heard cheap grace, I thought of more of like, almost like a cosmic vending machine kind of thing. Like, if I want to be forgiven, then I owe forgiveness. So I get forgiveness here, and I get forgiveness from God. Right. That is what he means. Right. And he is... He's kind of saying that. But he's, he's adding another point, which hopefully we'll get to at the end of our talk, and that is the justification of sin. And that, is, that has to do with the consequences of what you do. In other words, if you offer forgiveness and there is no apology, you have a greater responsibility to, to, to feel that what is it that's going to be generated by this forgiveness. You might feel good um, about it, um, but what are you causing? Uh, what are you provoking based on that forgiveness? So that throws us, before we get into the Jewish story of the Holocaust, um, that kind of throws us back into what is, why is forgiveness necessary? I mean, forgiveness very often makes us, um, especially with the gift of time, makes us feel better. We, I, most human beings will, would, I think, would confess. Of course, I haven't taken a poll. But I would assume that most human beings would prefer forgiving, forgiving than not. Mm. Because carrying around the weight of being the victim of someone else is heavy. It's a heaviness. It's, um, it creates resentment. It creates all kinds of negative feelings. When you forgive, you lighten your load. And it is godlike because ultimately you're saying, um, I can get past myself and my personal feelings of hatred and the desire for vengeance. I also think it's a, violence. a bit more of like a so something for nothing kind of thing. Like, you're not going to give me anything. And if anything, I've been hurt, but I, I'm big enough 
to, to give back something, which is forgiveness. I can get over that without expecting anything from you, which I think is very God. Like when I think of God, I think of the ability to give with nothing in, in return. It's like this endless, right. infinite kind of power. Right. So I, I agree. So the question is, what should be our attitude about forgiveness without apology? What can we learn? We'd like to um, go a little further in this issue and talk about you know some voices of the Holocaust in um, in Jewish in 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 the Jewish uh, culture and the Jewish population. Um, there, there's a famous woman who um, started an organization called Candles. She was actually, uh, along with her twin sister, was not just the victim of uh, Nazi brutality, but she was the victim of uh, some horrible medical experiments uh, experiments done by uh, Joseph Mengele. And, uh, of course, you know, her, her desire to get back and to... Uh, avenge, you know, should have been very, very strong. Yet at some point in her life, she decided that forgiveness is the way that she's going to take. And um, she started this organization. And she started in public, you know, preaching about, I don't know if the word is preaching, but she was not sure exactly if it was her initiative or others, um, which doesn't really matter that much. But it's, 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 it's important to me to, to think about that difference of who initiated it, because I'll tell you in a minute. But she's basically saying, you know, I forgive the Nazis for what they've done. That's huge. <laughs> right. That's huge. Then again, on the other hand, you have the famous story of Simon Wiesenthal, who, of course, is the founder of the Simon Wiesenthal Center, which was probably most known for its um, work over decades and decades of um, hunting down Nazis after the war, amongst other things, you know, defamation, and it branched out into many things. But the Simon Wiesenthal story starts with Simon Wiesenthal. Simon Wiesenthal was a Holocaust survivor. And one of the famous stories was that he was in a, uh, a work camp. I forgot the name of it. It was called um, something with an L. And um, he was um, there, you know, cleaning up around the hospital. That's what they were supposed to be doing. And they, they were in a... Uh, a, a, a camp. Was it large? It was a mill. It was no, no, something with an L, but I forgot. They, they were in the, they were cleaning up the grounds of a German military hospital, and a nurse came out of the hospital and said to Wiesenthal, "Hey, are you Jewish?" And he said, "Yes." He said, "So she said, well, why don't you come up to the ward because somebody needs to speak to you." And this starts this interaction with uh, Wiesenthal, who is um, there next to the bed. Um, of a Nazi guard whose name we do know. Of course, his name escapes me at this point. Um, but he gets to his, uh, near his bed. Oh, the place was called Lemberg, the Lemberg concentration camp. And the soldier's name was Carl Seidel. That's what I wrote. And he is um, being asked in this almost surreal situation where you're talking about a man who's not only suffered, but he's in the middle of suffering at the hands of the Nazis. It's still during the war. And he's he gets this type of confession from a, a young Nazi who's then seems to be, you know, we know at the, at the end of the story, he's on his deathbed, who reports to him that he was in a village on the Russian front and 200, the stories vary, 200 or 300 people, women, children, 
very young children, babies, very elderly people were all round up, all Jews. And they were um, packed into a house. And he, along with his fellow uh, Nazi soldiers, filled up, brought cans of petroleum first, filled the house with petroleum, and then they were, uh, you know, instructed to put all these these people in the house, and then they were uh, told to, you know, remove the safety pins from their hand grenades and throw them through the windows. And there he is saying to this Simon Wiesenthal that how he watched 200 or 300 people burn to death. And, you know, and of course, people trying to escape, jumping out of the second story windows and then being shot for trying to be escape to, for trying to escape. And um, basically what he says to Simon Wiesenthal, just, you know, as we say in Spanish, like caradura, um, you know, brazen faced almost, I need you to forgive me. He says, I'm about to die and I need you to forgive me. Yikes. So there are a few of these. Um, there's, they actually made a movie about it, of course, that also escapes me at this point. But he, um, Simon Wiesenthal wrote a book about this question because he sent this, uh, his re- what others would feel about his reaction to many thinkers in the world. And uh, his question and the responses are written in a book called Sunflower, The Sunflower. The reason why it's called The Sunflower is because it was so striking to him that on the graves of Nazi soldiers, there was this sunflower planted that he was able to observe. And he was so afraid of dying in an unmarked grave somewhere in the middle of nowhere. So that kind of for him portrayed this like, maybe probably his reaction, which I haven't said yet, but his reaction to the soldier was just to turn around and walk out. He just couldn't say anything. Certainly couldn't just say forgiveness to him. And he left and the next day the soldier died. So once I'm on the, that point, it's, it's interesting to note that if you, if you look on Wikipedia for the Sunflower book, they actually did an interesting thing. They took all the responses. There's over 53 responses. There's 53 responses. And um, they name the person who gave the response, the, the nationality, the profession, the religion, and the response. There's basically three responses. Uncertain if you can grant forgiveness without apology. And over here, this is not exactly without apology. I mean, this is the soldier who is asking for forgiveness. He is. That's not an apology. Okay, well, that's that's what I said. We were going to get a little bit into what an apology means. But let's just say it's somewhat of an apology. It's not like there's nobody there asking for forgiveness. There's somebody there that's asking for forgiveness. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of other problems because he's asking forgiveness to the wrong guy. Right. I mean, what, what, what is little Simon Wiesenthal? At that point, he must have been about, I don't know, a teenager. Maybe he was 18. What was he supposed to say? I mean, just the craziness of it. Like, could he possibly have granted forgiveness for something that wasn't committed directly to him? Is this Nazi soldier looking at him and saying, it's just all of you. I just need a representative from all of you, as if they were like one mass. You know, to to grant me that forgiveness so that I can be a little at peace Go with myself. Peace. You know what? So there's three basic responses. Getting back to the responses in this book, the sunflower. There's uncertain. There's do not forgive, and then there's forgive. The interesting thing is that when you look, 
at the the religion and the response. Anyone who represented Judaism either said uncertain, but most said do not forgive. And most of the Christian thinkers and theologians and and philosophers and professors, um, along with a few Buddhists, said it's better to forgive. So uh, my sensation um, in the beginning of the, of the class when we were quoting the Christian gospel, I don't think was that far off. I think the turn the other cheek or the forgiveness just for forgiveness is somewhat close to what's professed in Christian theology. I think the idea of forgiveness, even without apology, is a value. The, um, the question is for us, is, does, is forgiveness without an apology, um, does it have value? And, and if it does, what's the best way to do it so that it's actually meaningful? Now, I think, if, if, what do you think the problem with forgiveness without apology is? Why are all the you know, Jewish thinkers saying, do not forgive? Is that cruel? Is it because they were primarily the victims you know, of this uh, context of, of suffering of what we call the Holocaust? Is it that is that the reason why they just couldn't say you know don't they couldn't say forgive they said do not forgive I would like to not think that because there was a lot of distance some of these uh, thinkers and philosophers were not Jews that had actually suffered in the Holocaust so there was this definitely distance between the Holocaust and their thinking in terms of years also but what what do you think um, their uh, position is about you know not forgiving not forgiving. I I feel like a big part of apology um, is is for the person who's apologizing. I think a lot of times we automatically assume that apologizing is mainly for someone else, um, and I think it's it, it is a huge part of apology is for someone else. But I think more importantly, apology is for the person apologizing. Um, because I, I think apology is a recognition of a relationship. It's a, it's a recognition of you. It's a recognition I'm taking responsibility for what I've done in this. I think sometimes you can do more damage by forgiving and letting things slide without apology than by taking an apology because at the end of the day, the other person is, is losing out on a huge amount of benefit by not apologizing and could be entering into a huge pool of, of self-centeredness and narcissism and and just every, where where there's not even thought about other people that's such a dangerous place to be well it's also guilt it's also self-guilt the person that can't get himself to apologize will be carrying around the guilt for his I would whole hope. life i would hope that there are, i'm sure there are plenty of people who don't apologize who don't even notice well they don't the, even think well then well then then we're not even on the same page i mean if you're talking about a person who doesn't want to apologize because they don't think they did anything wrong so then, of course, you know, we, we, we're not, there's nothing to say. You know, that's kind of what some interpret, you know, the uh, Jesus of saying, you know, do not, they do not know what they're doing. Maybe in some way they, they thought they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. But therefore, that, that's where I do think, though, that um, not apologizing comes into play. Someone who thinks that they did nothing wrong will continue to think that they did nothing wrong if the other person is so easy to apologize. Um, whereas if a person that has, a, we're obviously talking about someone then who has a relationship with someone 
um, enough to know that if there isn't forgiveness, the, the relationship change or there's a dramatic shift in the way, in the dynamics of the relationship. Um, and then there's an understanding that something here isn't right anymore. Um, so that's where not apologizing would come into play for someone who doesn't even think that what they did is wrong, which I think is a lot of us all the time. I'm talking about like little things like we're all, we're all, you know, have our gripes and stuff about what other people did and what he said and what he thought. And no one's constantly apologizing all the time. So we're all quote unquote guilty of thinking that we did no wrong. Um, that kind of sounds, yeah, I agree essentially, but that kind of sounds theoretical because if a person doesn't think they did anything wrong, how are they going to know that they did anything wrong? The only way they can know is if somebody walks over to that person and says, you know, you've wronged me. And now the person has to deal with it because at least he has to deal with the fact that the other person thinks that he was wronged and now he has to decide if he actually wronged or he didn't wrong that person. So that turns that becomes about the relationship, you know. Does he? Does he? You know. At least he'll at the end he'll say, "Well, I I think I need to see things the way this other person see, sees it because this person sees it that I would that I wronged them, and and because we have a relationship, even if it's somewhat superficial, um, I wouldn't want that person to feel that I, I wronged them. I must have done something that they were they took offense to or they felt hurt by. And therefore, I need to apologize, even if I myself thought that I didn't do anything wrong. So, I mean, that's the stuff of relationships, which we're not necessarily talking about now, but it, it's certainly see, true. I just don't see how you would, how you can take apologies and forgiveness in any context besides relationships. Well, here you have Nazis, let's say. They have no relationship with the people that they killed, Right. And, and for all intents and purposes, in many wrongs that we talk about in the world, there's not a real pre-existing relationship. A guy goes and sprays a whole, you know, he's a, he, he gets angry at, a, at his former employer, and he, you know, he, he's so enraged, and he just, he feels so wronged, and he just does not have the power and, and to, to face, you know, the people that have wronged him and to try to reconcile himself with it. He commits an act of violence, and and there's collateral damage, and people get killed for no reason. Just because this person can't control himself, he has no relationship to them. To the boss? No, to anyone. To, to the people who he hurt. Yeah, right. To the people that were hurt. So, I'm saying it very often. People are wronged without any relationship to to the person who wronged them. Hmm. Right. The point is, the point is over here is that if, if we I, we didn't want to get into the the complexity of apology but I maybe we can agree on just to go forward that apology in essence a real apology is truly accepting responsibility for your failure it takes on different colors and different textures and different uh, expressions and different contexts obviously but but basically that's the point the point is apology is good for everyone like we said um, it helps both parties, forgiveness and apology, because if a person truly apologizes and accepts responsibility for their failure, then the person can grow and reconcile themselves and not live with this weight of the, the wrong that they've committed. They can move on to the extent, to the greatest extent possible, and sometimes even grow 
from the from the experience. Are we saying recognizing taking responsibility and recognizing their failure? Failure meaning the fact that they did something that hurt someone else? Yes. Okay. So the forgiveness also is very helpful, as we said before. And what we're talking about is forgiveness um, without apology, because as we said, we're looking at the story in the Bible and we're seeing forgiveness and reconciliation on the part of, of the brother who was wronged, Yosef, Joseph, and we're not seeing, I believe, a real, a sincere apology. We don't see the brothers coming for, you know, forward and saying, we're willing to take responsibility for the wrong that we committed to you. Now, there is a line of thinking that says that really, till their graves, they didn't think that they did anything wrong in terms of their position. They didn't think that they really were wrong in the sense uh, that, they, that they made a mistake. They just thought that perhaps they could have been done in a way that was less painful. You know, in other words, they had a position that Joseph was, uh, you know, power hungry, and they needed to squash him or squelch him. And the question was how to get rid of him without uh, causing unnecessary pain. And the only confession that you see in the Torah is that is that type of confession that you know they saw him suffering and they didn't react to his suffering and they were too callous towards his suffering which is a type of obviously a, ref, a deep reflection and a, and a remorse but it doesn't come out and say joseph we are really sorry for what we did to you you know we accept responsibility for our failure whatever that failure was we just left with the sensation that there that, that that's not present. Mm. So, so I just one last you know to to go back to that Holocaust thing because it's very helps us try to digest this idea. Apology, I mean forgiveness without apology. Um, the Eva Core example, I think, is an example of how not to forgive on this on such a large scale like i said again i don't know who initiated the, you know her becoming a, a whole sensation but i think if she in her heart of hearts wanted to forgive you know that's great and i think that's really how people who live tragedies live on and lead productive lives because they're able to let go and they're able to f forgive in the sense that they're not going to live, they're not going to become victims over and over again because they were victims. Mm -hmm. And living as a victim means living with the pain of being victimized. So you can call that forgiveness if it goes so far where the person says, look, I feel no ill feelings to the people that did this to me. I don't want to hold on to those feelings. I won't keep holding them accountable for the pain that I'm feeling. Right. And because that's a way of letting go and it's a, it's a healthy way of saying... I'm just not going to live this my entire life. If it means forgiveness, then so be it. Then I will forgive them. Because what do I gain by holding on to, you know, animosity and, 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 and recriminations that I have against these people that have wronged me? So it becomes like almost like a, an internal uh, relief and, and release of the situation, which is also forgiveness. We have in our tradition an interesting... Uh, an interesting, uh, I guess you can call it a custom, that was started 
primarily uh, in our days, in our generations, by uh, the famous Chafetz Chaim, Rabbi Yisrael, Rabbi Yisrael Meir Kagan, who, who said that besides the prayers that a person says before he's going to sleep, he should say a particular formulation which basically forgives all people, um, anyone who might have wronged you during the day. And then you go to sleep in peace. So there is that idea that uh, you know forgiveness without apology is worthwhile because you're not holding on to something and you're not being you know having these incriminating feelings all the time and and you are being godly in, in that sense however forgiveness without apology does not really help the person who's being forgiven right that's what i was going to say i was going to say it, it all sounds really great and i think that it's very healthy for people to find it within themselves to forgive people because it's good for them as the forgiver to be able to live a life without continuous pain and holding on to things and resentment and hatred but if you if you zoom out of the big picture then besides from himself there's not much going on right the ball is in the court of the person who needs to ask for an apology that nazi who killed however many people and watched them you know get burnt alive it, he he would if he would really do um uh, the proper pen penitence that we believe in in Judaism, he would, if it would be possible, which probably would not completely, but he would have to track down their families and the people that were directly affected by the people that he killed, assuming he knew who they were. And he would have to spend his life hunting these people down and asking for forgiveness from them and, and accepting upon himself truly the responsibility for his uh, tremendous uh, evil that he perpetrated. That, that's the only way that he can get close to apologizing and, res and, in, and, in, and in turn receiving some kind of a forgiveness by the people that were directly affected by it. So therefore the whole idea of like a Jew or whoever it was that was wronged by XYZ Nazi in, during the, the experience in the Holocaust saying I forgive Nazis, there's really, in Judaism, there's really no sense to that. All the person is saying is that I want to live with a with a free heart. I want to live with an open heart. I want to I want to love again. I want to be at peace with with mankind, so to speak. Right. That's what the person is saying. And if that's what the person is saying, I think again, I don't want to be critical of people that have lived through such horrors. But I would say, if it was a person that I was close to, I would say, if you want to do that, do it, but don't broadcast it. Because then, if you broadcast it, it, it creates what you know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer had said, a justification of sin. If, if people can, can commit such atrocities, and then somebody, even if it's decades later, can say, well, everything is forgiven. First of all, it's just wrong, because you cannot forgive up for, in, in the name of others who choose not to forgive. Second of all, um, you are justifying sin in a way. You are kind of sugarcoating something that was done that's horrible. And if it's uncomfortable for people to live with it, well, so be it. The uncomfortableness will cause people to think twice before such a horror is perpetrated again. Right. Oh, I like that a lot. <laughs> like, it, it's, it's so satisfying for me to, the idea that there's, there's this aspect of personal forgiveness, which I do for myself, 
but um, don't consider yourself to be the holy redeemer and start um, apologizing for others because there's this uncomfort. It doesn't feel good. Let's just all be chill. Forgiving for others. And yeah, and I'll just forgive forever. Like I'll, I'll redeem everybody from their guilt and I'll be the forefront of forgiveness. Um, like it's, it's I, I really do believe though that that is a huge part of the world that we live in today. Like people who have nothing to do with things that happen coming up to make these big glamorous speeches of, forgiveness or of even penitence but there's no it's it's so superficial it's so and and i really think it, it corrodes this this system of of trust of benevolence of correction of, of forgiveness of relationships to feel like you can do something and, and they'll be like either a fancy speech or someone your friend your your mother your brother your lawyer will say an apology for you and then it'll be accepted by someone who wasn't actually affected by what you did it it totally blows everything out of what it really is and it just becomes this superficial irrelevant thing and and then we really are walking in a world where there is no um consequence, consequence which is terrifying right i mean that, that's a little drastic but yeah that's where it could lead I mean, that certainly pushes it in that direction. So there, there are strong differences. Again, I don't, I'm not, I'm not a, a, a Christian theologian. I, I am only a studier, a person who studies other religions. But I do think that there is, especially in, in light of the reaction of so many um, Christian thinkers versus Jewish thinkers over this issue in the Sunflower book, I do think that even today we have this difference of opinion of how to view forgiveness without apology. I think in, in the Judaism, forgiveness without apology is very much tempered by the, the particular aspects of who's asking for an apology and who's giving the forgiveness. And also, um, you know, not making sweeping statements of, of forgiveness in order to exonerate people that are clearly guilty just because it makes you feel good. Or just because it's godlike to forgive. A person can forgive in their heart of hearts because they want to be uh, healthy. They want to live a healthy life. But that's a far cry from actual forgiveness, you know, by looking at the perpetrator in the eye and saying, I know what you did to me and I'm willing to forgive you um, because I see that you are truly accepting responsibility for your failure. That would be the perfect scenario because it closes all sides and it creates real reconciliation because there's, there's no loose ends. The person who, who is committed the evil is truly saying that he will not commit this evil again. And he, he feels horrible about it and, he, and he'll even put his heart in his hands and walk towards the person, even though that's very difficult, and ask for forgiveness and, and beg and plead for forgiveness. And the, the person who sees that, who doesn't want to be recriminatory for the rest of their life and wants to be giving and loving like God, will say, I forgive you. And, and then it's a closed circle. And then these two people actually can become joined. It happens uh, and closer to each other. It happens in, in, we hope it would happen in, in couples more and more often, of course, when couples that are in any relationship but i'm just using couples you know because they they the relationship becomes forged and um uh, 
you know, becomes uh, more deep because of these types of encounters where one spouse is able to say to the other spouse, you know, I, I totally accept responsibility for what I've done, and um, I'm, I'm asking sincerely for, for forgiveness. So then you have um, the, the, the real opportunity for the person to forgive on all fronts, forgive them for themselves and forgive the other for the evil that they've, they've created. Mm-hmm. I'd actually, though, I'd like then to make a bit more of a distinction there um, when we're talking about being able to apologize as something godly. In my mind then, real apologizing then, I would only call apologizing godly when you have the ability to forgive someone for the hurt that you've felt um, for a place of, I think, it, it's more than, it, it has to come from a place of more than just, I want to live a better life, so I will let go of this, because that's very human. We all want what's good for us. I think the godly part of forgiveness comes in when I, um, when I allow myself to let go of the desire that I want, which is vengeance and which is hatred and spurning and, and I wish you weren't here. I, I think that's the godly part. I think the, the overcoming of my desire. And wanting the best for the and, other. And wanting the best for the other. I think that's what makes apology godly, which I think oftentimes then will automatically require um, for someone to apologize before I can forgive like that. Right, exactly. So that brings us almost full full, full circle. And we'd like to get back to what I think is the message of the Joseph story because Joseph is forgiving without a, an apology. At least in the simple reading of the of the text, you don't feel that there's any apology going on. So how does a forgiveness without an apology look like so that it should actually feel as close as possible to a forgiveness instead of like what you're just saying, well, I'm not really I'm not really forgiving. I'm just I'm just um want to free myself from this weight of being a victim. So this is what I learned from this story. If you read carefully um, in both encounters with the brothers, Joseph makes sure to mention that God is the one who we are, let's say, deferring to or surrendering to in this story. Um, for any apology to be real, with sorry, for any forgiveness, for any granting of forgiveness to be real, um, in a sense that it's not just I'm, I uh, let's say a person would forgive without receiving an apology, like we said, a lot of it is inspired by just feeling better, but also if a person really uh, forgives without an apology, it's a certain amount of self abnegation. Um, if we wanted to, you know, because, I mean, actually, you should care that somebody did wrong to you. I mean, if you, if you say, nah, it doesn't matter, there's a certain self-abnegation that's going on there. Mm-hmm. So if we want to, the forgiveness without, without an apology to have meaning and to be lasting, I think what the Torah is teaching us here is that it must involve the deferring or the surrendering to a higher power. That's what's going on over here. Joseph is saying, Look, you're not really coming to me so that we can create a, a true 100% reconciliation. But there's 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 a reproachment that's that you're asking for. And I'm saying to you 
besides my personal feelings, which he might have gotten over by then, or might not, he said, God sent us here, which means it's not, I, I, I don't, the, the, me forgiving you or not forgiving you is dependent on us understanding that um, my feelings of, my ill feelings or my hatred towards you is meaningless if I, if I understand deeply that this is part of a master plan. That ultimately we believe in God and even though people choose things and he is not exonerating them from their responsibility by saying God did it, this is exactly my point. He couldn't possibly have done that, right? He couldn't have possibly have exonerated for what they were doing for what they were doing because they did something wrong and they weren't really asking for you know for forgiveness. But he's saying if we believe that this is part of a master plan, so so I can put my personal um, ill feelings and my hurt and the damage that you've done to me in a higher place. I can put it in a um, in, in the structure of God's plan. And if I believe in God, so then it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about, about, it's about carrying forth a plan and then coming to peace with it. So if we can come to peace with that plan, I can say these words to you. Don't worry about the things you've done to me because I'm totally connected to being a vehicle and uh, an emissary for that plan. I'm, I'm willing to go along with that plan. I'm in someone else's hands. I'm in, I'm in the higher power's hands. I'm in God's hands. Being that I'm in God's hands, you are just also a vehicle in getting me here. But now I can see clearly that me being here is not something that shouldn't have happened. It should have happened. Of course, personally, there, there's, there, there's a feeling of like, well, it wasn't pleasant. But when I see the light, I can see that, that really um, I'm also doing a mission. I'm also um, fulfilling a purpose. And you also fulfilled a purpose. Now, that does not relieve you from asking true apology. That does not relieve you from doing what you need to do to create real reconciliation. But Joseph, on, from his perspective, is saying the most meaningful thing I can do to, to give forgiveness without an apology is to is to defer to a higher power deferring which means accepting a higher power and i think that's amazing and i also think that because there are some you know loose ends here and because we do not really feel that there was a sincere apology from the brothers um it, it, it there was not a real restoration of trust and over time this was um, visible, uh, you know, as it appeared in Jewish history over and over again. Strife amongst the, the tribes of Israel. And even in a, in a very eerie um, tradition we have, the ten martyrs, the famous ten martyrs who were all martyred under uh, Roman occupation, Roman uh, conquest of, of Israel, um, the, the ten scholars, the, the ten sages that were martyred, um, we have a, a very mystical tradition that says that they were actually, and somehow the Romans intuited this, uh, it's not clear how, 
I guess maybe reading the Bible, they intuited that there, somebody should take responsibility for the sale of a brother. And there were 10 brothers that were involved in the sale of Joseph. So you 10 should, there should be 10 of you that accept responsibility finally for the sale of, of a brother, which is a horrible, horrible thing to do. So it's like, it's almost, it's unresolved. In history, you just see that it was this big moment that could have been reconciled, that could have created, that could have created reconciliation. Instead, it, it was left open. And it was left open primarily because there really was no apology. Joseph went as far as he could to forgive. And that's what the major idea we're learning from here, that forgiveness without apology means to defer to a higher power, to understand that I simply, as being the victim, was somehow, hopefully we come to that enlightened uh, position, I somehow was part of a plan. And, and therefore, you were also part of a plan. And, and therefore, it's not personal. Mm-hmm. I, I guess then it's it's important for me at least to to um, to get that straight because that threw me for a loop for a second. <laughs> so what you're saying is that in order for the forgiver to be able to forgive someone without them coming up with an apology, is the is for the forgiver to put himself in the grand scheme of a godly world or of a world that has a higher power in which what happened to the forgiver is not personal from the other person, but it is actually part of a bigger picture, which allows then the forgiver to let go and, and, and accept that that is just the way of the world, the way of the higher power, part of a plan of divinity, whatever you want to say. And then that allows him the peace to let go of, of resentment of the other person um, but you're still then saying that for the person who did not apologize, the damage is still done. Because for the person who doesn't apologize, then there isn't for them full circle of, because what you're saying, the, the tribes, there was still, there wasn't trust. There wasn't trust. They feel like he wasn't, that they, he didn't trust them. And then there was still within this unresolved something and, and lack of taking of apology that wasn't, that wasn't assumed, which is which still has lasting repercussions. Taking of responsibility, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Wow. And uh, interestingly, we have this, uh, we'll just end with this, we have this line that's so powerful that uh, Maimonides also quotes um, that says that um, great and wise people, righteous people, are smechim surim in Hebrew. They're happy with the travails of life. They're actually happy with them means they feel, even though it's so counter in the human experience to feel that way, but they feel that they're, when things happen to them, they feel that they're actually being utilized in a plan. And, and they feel happy because they're, they are part of a plan. And they, and they can diffuse all of their particular uh, ba- bad feelings and, and human desire to, to, to strike back and take things personal because of this other person. They see things in such a depersonalized way um, that allows them to live on a totally different level. They are ultimately called the lovers of God, people that love God so much that just see God in everything, truly, truly. Um, They live on this plane where there's no rancor, there's no desire to... uh, 
to see uh, the, the other person as like a person who's acting alone, almost independently of God, so to speak. And therefore, my center of attention is him, and I have to strike back at him or have to have these feelings towards him. He is also another um, tool. He is another, uh, willingly or, or consciously or not, consciously or not, that person is also another tool in God's hands. So living on that level is an incredible level, and this is, I believe, what we see in the story of Joseph, where he's saying, look, you know, it's been horrible, maybe 30 years on a personal level, but on, on I see it differently. I, I can see that I was part of a plan, and I'm just um, so connected to that, that this is, I, do, I have no uh, malice towards you as, as my brothers. Mm-hmm who've done this to me. So for for someone in like a, how would you give this over for your average Joe every day who's dealing with the ups and downs and, um, you know, people who are wronging left and right and you're wronging left and right, what would you say then is in a couple words the, the essence of what we're saying here? What, what What's the takeaway when it comes to apology, um, sorry, to forgiveness without apology? Right. Well, forgiveness without apology has, we're, in some, we're saying there's, there's two levels. They're both good, but one is just a high, much higher level. The first level is just realize that to not forgive is to continue l- allowing yourself to be victim of previous victimization, which means you, or maybe that's not the right word, but to continue uh, to allow yourself to become a victim. And Continuously. Yeah. <laughs> so it it's up to you. It's it's hard, but a person can say, "Look, I'm not going to." We, and this we've seen many, many times. You know, with very brave people, men and women around the world, who say that to themselves. Look, I'm I'm interested in moving ahead. From of course, survivors of the Holocaust who build new lives and uh, victims of terrible crimes who end up living positive, healthy lives is because in one way or another, they're just not going to live as a victim and all and, and, and live with that, those feelings of, of victimhood, of hatred and confusion and why me, etc. So to let go of all that is a much healthier way. And, and of course, in the professional health, in the, in the mental health field, um, there are many, many... Um, steps that are provided and if a person reads up on it to help um, get to that level of forgiveness. But then there's another level and that's what we're seeing from the Bible that to create a forgiveness that's also meaningful in the sense of like it's somewhat objectively meaningful that it can help even those that are not asking for apology is that a person uses the situation to illuminate a path and to say, I can see now that I was being used as one of God's pieces in his great divine plan. As well as the person who harmed me, which allows me then to make it not personal about him and more connected to the divine picture of what God or the higher power wants for this world. Right. I can see the goodness also that's coming out of it and that helps of course goes a long way there are major examples of that and even in this country not even but 
in this country of people that have suffered horrible things, losing children to terrorist attacks, who have turned their lives around by saying, I, if this is happening to me, then I, um, it's up to me to, to feel this or not to feel this. I can feel that I am being given a, a particular message by, from God and I'm part of a plan. And if I'm part of the plan, I need to bring more goodness and light to the world. And that's what they've done. Incredible people who start organizations and help thousands and thousands of people, all inspired by a, a terrible tragedy. Mm. And yet notice that none of them made grand sweeping apologies for everybody else who suffered, which no. is something that you said, which I think is important. Again, now in, to conclude, is just we are not saying here that um, for people who need to apologize, that it's not really a thing because it would be better for the other person to just forgive you. Um, apology is incredibly important for the person who needs to apologize. Um, and sometimes forgiving without apology, like we said, is good for the person who, who, can, who can forgive, but it's not good for the person who needs, an apolo- who needs to apologize. So that's always something to remember. Um, and also, don't be redeeming everybody else for what they've done because you're not comfortable with something or because you want to make grand gestures. It's not your place to start forgiving other people for things that weren't done to you. And as people who harm, don't expect other people to start forgiving you for things that you've done um, and not take responsibility for what you've done. Good. So those are the, yeah, that's the wrap up. And as promised, if you have questions, if you have reviews, comments, uh, questions, triggers, whatever it is, we want to hear about it. And you can email us at fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. That's fdhp.feedback at gmail.com. It's easy to remember because it's just the letters of Father, Daughter, Holy Podcast. <laughs> feedback at gmail.com. We're really excited to hear from you guys. I hope you guys love this episode as much as we did. Be blessed. Have an awesome week. And we hope that this gave you something to think about. <laughs>